0: our local church leaders, the Overseer. We're gonna be looking at that term today in today's podcast. My name is Aaron Kemple, and thanks for joining us on the Shepherding Talk podcast. I'm sharing with you a lesson that I presented recently on the Overseer. Enjoy. It was the second Timothy chapter two and verse two. Second Timothy two, verse two. It is great to be back. Thank you so much to Ryan and Dustin for preaching last Sunday. I heard them talk about being seventh string and not on the practice squad, but when someone not on the practice squad comes and dunks it from half court, it shows us we have a lot of talented brothers here. Acts chapter 13 tells us that there were many prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch. And I think that model is true here at Dallin Road. And so thankful for all the great teachers that we have in our midst, men and women. And so thankful that we're here today. We're gonna talk about the overseer. And so uh, the outlines are available in the back and hopefully you've picked one of those up already. But we're picking up this series that started earlier in in the year about our local church leaders. We talked about the elder who is an example. He is experienced, he is seasoned. Uh, there are three terms that are used for this leader of the local church, elder, overseer, pastor, elder, overseer, sometimes used uh, translated bishop, maybe in the King James, elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd. All three are descriptive terms used to describe the same person in the same, serving in the same capacity in the local church. So today we're going to be talking about the overseer. This verse that in 2 Timothy 2 2 is not on your notes, but I wanted to start with this verse. Again, appreciate y'all being here and glad we have this time together. What does the leadership at Dallin Road look like five years from now? I appreciate Max and others who are forward thinking. And who are preparing and training and mentoring and teaching. And I know that culture is here, but we need to perpetuate that. But we already know from a year from the last year that our eldership looks different than a year ago, does it not? We've had two of our very good men our our elders who have had to step down because of health issues. We have to ask ourselves and constantly be thinking, what does the leadership at Dallin Road look like five years from now? So I don't know that. Well, we, we may not know exactly what that looks like, but we are told to prepare. We are told to train. We are told to mentor. We are told to equip. Second Timothy 2.2, two, and we're going to be talking about this in the Monday night study tomorrow night when Jordan Schaus does a lesson on legacy, on legacy. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Some of you may have heard me say this before. I didn't come up with it. But there are four generations here in this verse. There are four spiritual generations. There is Paul who committed these things to Timothy who is going to train men who are gonna teach others. There's four generations there. What's Paul telling Timothy to do? Think ahead, think generationally, think down the road, because Timothy, you're not always gonna be here. I'd like to think that I'll always be here, but I'm not always gonna be here. Neither are you. News flash, right? So we are generationally preparing. That's part of the work of the church is to equip and train and prepare. And so that's Second Timothy 2 in verse two, is we consider this idea of the, the overseer. The word, really simple, it means to watch over, to see over. Okay, really hard word, but it's the idea of I'm looking over something. And we're going to dive into this word in the Old Testament and in the New. We're going to use some Old Testament context to help us get a better picture of what it means in the New Testament to be uh, an overseer. But one of the things, as was mentioned at the beginning by Reuben, that Jesus, number one, is our overseer. You may not like this, but you need an overseer. So do I. And we are overseers. But the idea of the overseer is there's a master who has entrusted his things and his people to you and you are managing them, stewarding them, watching over them for the master. That's the idea of an overseer. And so as we consider that, we'll we'll be bringing that thought in over and over again. So we're gonna look at these three points. Number one, overseers are not owners. Overseers are not owners. Uh, We'll get there in a moment. Overseers are not owners. They are stewards. Overseers are not overlords. They are soul watchers. They are not overdoers. They are servants as part of a team. So they are not owners. They're not overlords. And they're not overdoers. They are stewards, soul watchers, and servants. And that's what we're going to be looking at through this lesson. And again, the outlines are available. So this first point. We're not an owner, we take ownership. By the way, there's a great book I've recommended before, but Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. It's a really good book written by Navy Seals. We take ownership, but we're not owners. Overseers are not owners, they are stewards in God's house. So we're gonna look at several verses. Again, these are on your notes. First uh, Titus chapter one and in verse seven, then we'll be in first Timothy. For an overseer, what's the Holy Spirit tell us? For an overseer as God's, as God's steward must be above reproach. He is managing the resources and people of the master. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Think about us, we're all overseers. You may say, well, I'm not an elder. I may never be an elder. Okay, uh, do you have finances? Those are God's, you're an overseer. Do you have time that's given to you by God? You're an overseer of that. Do you have talents and abilities? You're an overseer of that. You have children? You're an overseer of those children. They're God's children, Psalm 127. They're his heritage. You have a spouse. You've been given a blessing and a stewardship. Wow, what if we got that in our heads about everything? That we are managers of the things and the people of God and we are going to give an account. I'm gonna hand that back someday and God's gonna ask me, how'd you do with that, Aaron? An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. First uh, First Timothy three, verse five, and the screen behind me. For someone, if he does not know how to manage what? His own household. We'll talk about that at the end of the lesson. How will he care for God's church? Owners? No. Overseers. We are. We are not owners. We are managing, stewarding, taking care of God's blood-bought church. And I know that our elders understand this, and I'm so thankful. For that. First Corinthians chapter four and in verse two. Moreover, now this is Paul talking about his own stewardship as an apostle and a preacher of the gospel. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful because one day we give an account. How did you do with those things that I gave you? Think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. There's a calling to account. The unjust steward in Luke 16, there's a calling to an account. How did you do with that? What did you do with your mind? Well, that's a great question. You know, I remember a powerful lesson I heard. I mean, we Northern people heard of deboman, Bowman too, you know. <laughs> D. Bowman preached some great sermons and he, he preached this, question, this sermon, the five things God asked a judgment. And, and I remember that sermon. And one of them is, what did you do with your mind? That's a great thought. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So, we as overseers, whether we're talking about in the local church or whether we're talking about in our families or, or anything else, we are stewards in God's house. But we also understand that we're not overlords. We are soul watchers. Sounds like a creepy horror show. The soul watchers. Just making sure you're with me. We're not overlords. We're not overlords, we are soul watchers in God's family. And I, I picked that phrase because uh, there's something similar to it in a verse we're about to read. In 1 Peter chapter five, First Peter chapter 5, we see in verse 1, Peter talking to elders. He is a fellow elder. He's talking to the elders of the local congregation. He calls them elders. He calls them pastor shepherds. And he calls him overseers. He describes him as overseers. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the, that's the realm of the authority and responsibility of the local church leader. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising what? Oversight. Oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. We talked about that with the lesson on elders and that's available on our YouTube channel, but not domineering over those in your charge, not an overlord. Jesus told Peter and the others when he was on the earth, that's how the rest of the world operates. They domineer over people, they exercise over authority. They wanna prove themselves to be the boss. I am the head, okay? I'm the boss, I'm the CEO, I'm the manager. That's how the world operates. I'm the king. Jesus says, that's not how my people operate. And so he says, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, I'm so thankful that our shepherds understand this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. They are keeping watch over their soul watchers. Okay, they are not overlords, they are soul watchers. They are keeping watch over parking lot signs and toilets. And no, they're keeping watch over souls as those who will give an account. Why? Because they're stewards, they're managers. God says, here's my resources and my people. These are my cherished possession. My blood-bought people care for them. What What an amazing blessing. It's not something we should be scared of. Men, it's not something we should be scared of, but it's, it's something we take seriously. Keeping watch over souls as those who will give an account, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Another passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We ask you brothers to re- respect 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. What are they doing? They're admonishing. I need that. I hope you all understand that. I hope we all understand we need that. We need somebody sometimes to lovingly sit down with us and thump us in the noggin. Okay, maybe not thump us in the noggin, but you make sure you're listening. Somebody to lovingly say, Aaron, the way you said that, or the, what you're doing right now, or here's how you could have done that differently, or here's, here's some things that are going to help you as a husband, or here's, here's uh, an older woman sitting down with a, a younger woman saying, here's how I can help you being a, a better mother, and, 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 and all that, <laughs> okay? To help, to admonish, we need that. We talked about this in Bible class, we're not an island to ourselves. We like that independence as Americans and I'm glad we have that. I'm not speaking against it, but sometimes we take that too far that I'm over here making myself my own life and I pull myself up by my bootstraps and I don't need you and I certainly don't want your input. That's not the community that Christ created in the church. Overseers are soul watchers in God's family. And so let's continue in the third point. Overseers are not overdoers. They are servants as part of a team in God's household. And so what I'd like to do is to look at Genesis chapter 39. Turn there with me. I want to look at a few examples starting in the Old Testament. Genesis 39. If you have any questions afterwards, feel free to ask me. I pray that this is according to the truth of God's word. Overseers, they're not owners, they're not overlords, they're not overdoers, but we see this idea of overdoing. Sometimes it is tempting when you are in charge, maybe maybe you can relate with this. I think more more of us can relate with this than we wanna admit. When you're in charge, the temptation is to do it all yourself and make all the decisions because that's what being in charge is, right? How does that work? How does that work in the home? That stinks. How, how does that work in the, in the business world? Doesn't work well, does it? How, how does it happen with a sports team when a coach won't let the players think for themselves? We see, we understand that, that overdoers, being in charge doesn't mean you do it all and make every decision. And are involved in every single thing. I want you to think about Potiphar, who is the officer of Pharaoh, Genesis 39 and verse 1. And he is over his house. He is the master of his house. But yet he puts somebody else like Joseph in charge of things. And he trusts him so much that he doesn't look into the things he's doing. I trust you, Joseph. Just go do your job. Which is, I'm so thankful. Because I think about sitting here at the office... David Jones, David Fenner, somebody comes in and they're just doing their job as a deacon. You don't have Greg chasing them around saying, Hey, did you do this, did you do that? They're trusted to do their job. Isn't that amazing? Oversee does not mean you perform every task and make every decision. Uh, Genesis chapter 39, notice verse three. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house. See the word overseer and put him in charge of all that he had. Notice all that he had, verse four, all that he had, verse five, all that he had, verse six. Verse 5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Joseph, take this on. I trust you. Go do the job. How empowering is that when you're at work and, and, and your boss does that? That's awesome. I trust you to go do under these guidelines. Joseph had guidelines. He had instructions. He had a framework under which to operate. He can just make up his own rules, but he had a framework in which to operate. And so Joseph did that and he was trustworthy as an overseer. And there were other workers verse 11 in the house. Joseph wasn't the only one. Even though he had oversight, he wasn't doing all of the work himself. I think that's an important point. Let's continue to, to talk about Moses. Moses did not, was, had to be taught not to make every decision. Exodus chapter 18, turn there with me, please. Exodus 18. Exodus 18. On our YouTube channel, there's a, le- there's a lesson presented by Don Truex called Every Man's Challenge. Uh, it was a, just a fantastic lesson about this idea of delegation and, and and we can't do it all. And sometimes we feel like we've got to do it all, but that's not what God means by leadership and being in charge. Moses struggled with that. We see that in, in Hebrews that he was faithful in all of God's house, but as being over God's house, being over Israel, he was trying to do it all by himself and make every single decision and talk to every person that had an issue. And the Bible says he was wearing himself out. Can anybody, can anybody relate with that? Wearing himself out and he was wearing the people out. That was the advice from his father-in-law Jethro. But Jethro, his father-in-law gave him some great advice in verse 22. Again, he had to learn to delegate and equip others. Verse 22 of Exodus 18, let them judge the people at all times. These people you appoint. Find faithful men, find people who have these qualities, verse 21. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. Any small matter they shall what? What's the text say? They have brains. Moses, they have brains. They can make decisions themselves. Any small matter, they shall decide themselves. So it will be what? Easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. That's the idea of synergy in the New Testament. This word uh, in the Greek, the idea of working together. We're bearing the burden together as we work together. Let's continue. As we look at those who did the temple work, Second Kings, there were people who were over Israel You had the the king of Israel, Josiah, as you turn to 2 Kings 22, 2 Kings 22. There's the king who is over Israel, but then you have Hilkiah, the high priest, who is over all of the religious stuff. So you have a political leader and a religious leader, but they're not doing everything. They're not performing every task and making every decision. They entrust others to do that. This is so important because, I mean, this applies everywhere. This is not just an eldership lesson, guys. This is how we live life. If, if we live life with a micromanagerial control, every aspect life, we're crippling everyone around us. If that's that way in home, you're crippling your kids. Second Kings 22. Verse three, in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azali, the son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. Let it be given into, listen to this, the hand of the workmen who have what? Oversight of the house of the Lord, let them give it to them to the workers who are at the house of the Lord repairing the work. That is the carpenters, the builders, the masons, let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked for them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. Now, again, these workers weren't off to themselves. They had guidelines. They couldn't just build the temple however they wanted to. They had a framework. They had guidelines from God and they had guidelines from Moses. They had guidelines from the king. They had guidelines from Hilkiah, the priest. But the money was given into their hands and they were trusted to do the work without being micromanaged. Why? Because they were trustworthy. You see, it's a two-way street, isn't it? I mean, if I want the elders to trust me, what do I have to be? Trustworthy. They de- this money was delivered into their hands for they dealt honestly. Okay, let's continue in our examples. How about the apostles, Acts chapter 6? Notice how important this trust is in relationships. We are just encouraged more and more in our world not to trust each other. And I know it's a broken world, but we see trust in the, in the, in the kingdom of God. We have to trust each other and we have to live in a way that is trustworthy. The people that were chosen to have oversight were faithful. That's a consistent quality that was on these men that were chosen to do certain things. Faithfulness, trustworthiness. Acts chapter 6. The apostles found themselves in a mess. There was a a division in the church on, on racial and ethnic lines. Hellenistic widows weren't being cared for. This church was large. We're in the thousands. This church is thousands of people. And there's certain widows who are being neglected and there's fighting going on, murmuring going on, and the apostles have to deal with it. So do they just jump in there and say, okay, we're going to make all the decisions. We're going to take care of all these widows. I'm going to make sure widow A, B, and C gets this. And widow D, you. no, they don't do that, do they? Acts chapter 6, let's look at what the Holy Spirit says. In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God and serve tables. They knew their limitation and they knew their mission. That's important. Therefore, brothers, pick out from what? Among you, they trusted the people to make this decision, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. We're gonna give them oversight. Hear your qualities, pick out seven men. We're gonna give this responsibility to them. They're gonna have oversight of it. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They understood they had a mission to accomplish. And what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose these seven men, Stephen, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set these before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. The apostles knew their roles and their limitations. The apostles trusted the congregation to choose these seven men. And the apostles gave oversight of widow's care to these seven men. Now you can imagine what that would look like. The apostles picked these seven men and then all, and then Stephen has to come to the apostles and say, can I spend 10 cents on widow A? Or can I spend 15 cents? They were given oversight. They had their guidelines. Again, it's not that they didn't have rules, didn't have a, a, a framework under which to operate but they were allowed to take over this business. And I can tell you, I'm pretty, I think it's pretty safe to assume that those seven men didn't do all of the work. When there are thousands of people in this group, they probably had helpers that they employed in this this ministry. Oversight does not mean you perform every task and make every decision. How about at home? Because that's where we see, if you turn back to 1 Timothy, turn to 1 Timothy, this is where we see oversight at home, shown as a, a quality, a, a proof, a demonstration of how I will manage in God's church. Where's one place a man learns to oversee? Is a home, isn't it? He must, verse Timothy three, four and five, he must manage his own household well, With all dignity, keeping his uh, children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how what? How will he care for God's church? He shows it at home first. He learns this at home. He demonstrates this at, at home. Same thing with the deacons later in the chapter. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Sometimes in homes, there's two extremes. There's one where the man is just a rubber stamp. The woman is the head, the kids know it, everybody knows it. And he is a dummy and he can't tie his own shoes without her. That's one extreme. I think that's more of the extreme that America is trying to build today. But then you have the opposite extreme where the man is controlling and possessive and micromanagerial and the woman can't make one decision without him. Both are unhealthy guys, amen? I hope that's safe to ask for amen on that. (laughs) Both are unhealthy. Okay. And so we understand, I want you to look with me in Proverbs chapter 31. And we don't have just for the sake of time, I just want this for a thought. Turn to Proverbs 31, as we wrap the lesson up. Proverbs 31, this amazing uh, discussion and uh, description of a woman that is a virtuous woman, this excellent woman in Proverbs 31. It's not intended to be a list of all of the things a woman must do to be found worthy before God. This is a picture of a beautiful woman that does some amazing things. By the way, husbands, if you, if you want your wife to do all of these things, Anna reminds me that this woman has servants, so you better hire help. Okay. I want you to read through this text. I want you to read through this text and think about the relationship that the woman has with the man and the decisions that she makes, the decisions that she makes while he's working. Think about that. Now, again, we work as a team, a husband and wife work as a team together, okay? But we see that, I want you to study this and think about it and talk it over, but we see this excellent wife. We see in verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He trusts her. How is she behaving? Verse 12, she is trustworthy. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. You see the beautiful relationship there? That's why this works. It doesn't work if we don't have trustworthiness if, or if I'm not trusting. But you realize that in this family, the husband, where is he? In verse 23, he is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land but she is taking care of things at home. She doesn't have to ask him what color to paint the walls. That might make us uncomfortable and you may not like me making the specific on that, but sometimes we have to be careful as we are in our homes. I don't, as a head of a home, I am not making, I cannot make every every decision and perform every task. That's not a healthy relationship. And so we understand where someone learns to oversee is at home because understand if, if I am micromanaging and controlling everything at home, how will I be in God's house? We have to have a healthy relationship where we talk and communicate and we make decisions together, but have the freedom and the trust That I believe God designed within the relationship for us to trust each other under a framework, under God's guidelines. Yes, but to trust each other. And so that's important for us to consider. Overseers are not owners. They are stewards. They're not overlords. They are soul watchers. They are not overdoers. They are servants as part of a team in God's household. We are servants, soul watchers, and stewards. As we close, I want you to look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. We need an overseer and Jesus is our overseer. And I hope that we we realize that we need to come home to the overseer of our souls. If you need to do that today. If your life has not been one of, of being led by the shepherd, even if you're, you've been baptized into Christ, but your life is not characterized as one having been led by the shepherd and you're not being led by the shepherd and overseer of your souls, that you will take today to repent, that I will take today to repent, that we will say, I will do this no more. I will live for Jesus. And if you have not yet come under the shelter of God's wings for refuge, if you have not yet been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, come under his leadership as a shepherd and overseer of your souls. Come forward while we stand and sing. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Aaron, that's A-A-Ron, at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks and have a great day.